This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave in the uh, Melon Law Studio, protected by crime prevention 24-7-365. And uh, boy, today is a great day because... Uh, it's a crisp 41 degrees here. We'll cover that a little bit more at the halftime break here. The sky is clear, but we do have a little weather coming in a little bit later. But uh, it's a great day because we got Ted Yoho with us on Wednesdays, and it's a, a real treat to have Ted with us. He's, um, he, you know, he is uh, knows the the, the the D.C. world probably as well as anybody we talk with and is very uh, candid and trustworthy in his opinions. And, of course, everything we offer you are our opinions, and we usually have the documents to back them up. So, well, I'd say if we don't, we don't have them. And we'll say it's just our opinion. But, um, you know, we appreciate you supporting the show, all you all who listen and the sponsors and then those who don't donate to us and, and also share this and also go over to Rumble and follow us and uh, stick with us through um, all the uh, techie guys trying to keep, you know, our voices out of your ear. So. Uh, a lot has happened in this last week since Ted and I were with you. And, you know, we had some conversations about what we thought might happen. And and now it's happened. And so I'm going to basically listen to Ted talk about his interpretation of what has happened since he and I last talked with you on the show, which is about exactly a week, of course. And in that week has happened quite a bit. And uh we invite you to put in the chat line your questions and uh, ask anything you want to ask, and uh, we'll pass it along. And also, I'll be passing along some questions to Ted that have already been passed along to me to give to him. So uh, first thing I want to sort of take off with, uh, and I think Ted will approve of this, is we predicted that um, um, the now speaker would have a very difficult time becoming a speaker if he even could become the speaker right. because there were a lot of people who didn't trust him. And you saw the struggle. You watched it. I don't know. We went, it was like a Muhammad Ali championship 15 round fight. Um, you know, because of Ali and Fraser, um, that fight that went 15 rounds, they cut all those fights back to 12 rounds. Well, this hadn't been a fight like this for a hundred years. And so we've got a lot to, uh, interpret for you. So, Ted, what's your take on how things turned out and anything you want to run with? There are a lot of different creeks and sure. beds we can fish from on this. Sure. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, it was an exciting week last week to watch that. And uh, my prediction was Kevin wasn't going to be elected, that he would step down. But I was wrong on that. And, um, you know, it is what it is. And we have to work with that. Um, but I think what was really interesting, and without talking just about the speaker's race, if you think back and you hear 
what the uh, elite media and the pundits were saying back when the, the Free House Freedom Caucus came about. You know, they were the ones that were standing up for the principles of American. And, you know, they, they were the ones that were really, you know, uh, protecting our basic freedoms and the liberty that this country and the Constitution. And then when the speaker's race came out, they were like the plague of the planet and the scourge of the planet. <laughs> and I heard somebody yesterday saying, thank God for the Freedom Caucus. And it's just funny how things change according to the moment. The Freedom Caucus stood up, and um, I wrote an editorial about this. I think I sent it to you. And, you know, people want to worry about what's happening at a point in time, the now factor. And, and so they're looking at all this dysfunction on the House floor. But you need to look at how this country's changed in the last, say, 16 years. You know, look at critical race theory. Look at wokeism. Look at our border situation. Look at the disarray in our military. You know, getting rid of all these things that have been there traditionally. Um, you know, you heard the things about uh, no longer will the Marine Corps uh, use ma'am and sir. And, um, and it, everything is changing and it's changing rapidly. Look what's going on in our schools and our education, the transgender issues, uh, the schools wanting to teach transgenderism to infants, to, you know, third graders. And, uh, and so that's what we need to focus on. And one of the big things was our debt. And when I went into Congress in uh, 2013 is when I started, this nation was at $13.5 trillion in debt. And I bring that up because today we're over $32 trillion in debt. And I fought hard to try to grab people by the shoulders and say, this is unsustainable. The reason I bring that up is Kevin McCarthy has been there for six, 16 years. <clears throat> Kevin McCarthy became the majority leader. And then um, when we went into the, uh, uh, into the minority, uh, right before that, the last bill he brought up was the omnibus spending bill. He's the majority leader of the Republican Party. For the eight years I was in Congress, Kevin and the Republican Party were all railing against the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi for bringing up the Obamacare bill, a bill that came out at, at midnight on um, uh, December, I think it was 20, um, Christmas Eve. And it was a bill that we all remember the infamous words of Nancy Pelosi. We have to pass it to see what's in it. But <laughs> forward, yeah, fast forward to 2018, the omnibus bill. Kevin McCarthy brings up a 2,700-page bill that nobody reads, comes up at 11.45 at night, and we're voting on it 1 o'clock the next afternoon. There's the 72-hour rule that everybody is supposed to have 72 hours to review a bill. I, 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 I challenged them on that. We had discussions on that. They brought this bill up anyways, and people voted on it. And I was one that said, I'm not going to vote on it because it's bad for the American uh, people. <clears throat> And nobody has read this bill, Kevin. And you're doing the very thing that Nancy Pelosi has done that we've railed against. Now, the significance of bringing up a bill like that is our spending goes, it skyrockets. And, and we can see that right now. And the reason it does that, and they bring up these omnibus bills, is because they don't do what we call regular order. Regular order is where the 12 appropriations bills go through committees. They get voted on by Democrats and Republicans. They have consensus. They bring that bill out. It goes to the House floor. It's voted on by the members. And then it passes. That, that's 
And so you have your spending all taken care of and it's supposed to be done by April 15th. And then they extended it to mid July. Now, if we were to do that, if Congress was to do what they're supposed to do at the end of the year, fiscal year, September 30th, there would not be these fights over government shutdowns, you know, the, the CRs continuing resolutions, um, which is a terrible way for Congress to spend our money. And uh, if they did what they were supposed to do, we wouldn't be in the trouble we are. And so I bring all that up because Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is the person that did that in the Republican majority. And he's been there for 16 years. And, uh, you know, it's a definition of insanity. I hope that the, the, what the Freedom Caucus did and the challenge that they did will get him to think about when he brings these bills up, he dang sure better do what's best for the American people and for what's best for this country to preserve what we have, you know, basically it's freedom and liberty. And, uh, and so I thought it was interesting that um, he kept uh, capitulating and making deals. And I've talked to several of the members uh, via text, and um, they felt like yeah, this was the best they were going to get, but they are going to hold him accountable. And so let's see how we do. Well, that's a great summation by Ted Yoho, who was a uh, U.S. House for eight years. He really has still uh, instant communication with the people who are making the decisions there. So if you uh, didn't catch all this, I see some of you just getting on. Remember, we record everything. We post it on wardscottfiles.com. It goes out on okay. 37 different platforms. And uh, we get a data analysis from our production team about how many of you <coughs> are listing. And I can actually check on to analytics and see who, how many people are listing any given moment. So if you missed the first part of it, you can catch it. Uh, we'll be posting the whole show uh, shortly after it's completed. But to summarize, and I hope I don't do any injustice to what Ted just said, I asked him uh, to account for what had happened in the last week since we, he and I talked where he made the prediction that Kevin McCarthy would really not make it as speaker. There was some real firm, solid, un, uh, uncapitulating commitment to hold him accountable for exactly what Ted just described as his behavior, his 16 years, McCarthy's 16 years in the House. Now, already there an analysis has come out. I read, Ted, perhaps you read it too that the Freedom Caucus is much more effective, at least so far, with uh, holding accountable the Speaker than the squad was for holding Pelosi accountable. And I thought that was kind of interesting because the squad had issues. That's AOC and uh, that crowd, uh, as you I know. I know it well. <laughs> you know it well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but they were not effective in holding Pelosi uh, feet to the fire, Ted. And, right. and I think that is also some of the baggage that McCarthy carried with him that really, uh, I'm not defending what you, uh, you know, or, you know, disagreeing with what you said, but the skepticism over the ability to control an ungovernable speaker is obviously it was a ghost in the chambers, if you follow me. Uh, right. So the Republicans, if you get my drift here, didn't want to be a part and parcel of repeating that 
And so they put a governor, if you will, like you would on a carburetor, um, the old days before we had electric cars, <laughs> uh, to keep this guy in check. Now, let's talk about what you think will be the effectiveness of that. They've made some rule changes. Can you go into those for us? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, well, they talk about they made the 72-hour rule. And again, that's where a bill comes up. You have, a, a member is supposed to have 72 hours to review that bill. <clears throat> that that rule has been there since I was in Congress. It's following the rule that they need to hold their fire to. Uh, the motion to vacate the chair, <clears throat> and I get a kick out of this because the political pundits say the Freedom Caucus has fought to get where one member of the Freedom Caucus can get the speaker to step down. <clears throat> that's not true. I mean, that's just that's just ignorance. What one member of the free of any anybody in the House can put forward a motion to vacate the chair. And so that motion comes up and then it's voted on by the whole house. But the media makes it sound like one member, if he just doesn't get his way, he can get yeah. Kevin McCarthy to step down or any speaker. And it's just, it's not the way it is. And so it's misinformation, fake news, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I can't say fraud, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did by not. The way, by the way, fraud. Ted, that, that motion would require, would require a second, would it not? Yeah, it would require yeah. a second. Yeah. And then it has to go for a vote. And, yeah. uh, you know, right now, I don't think it would happen. But the important thing is um, the things that they fought for, getting people on the steering committee, because this has always been something the speaker has controlled. And it's controlled by how well you play at the NRCC, which is the fundraising arm. And you've heard me mention several times before that as a freshman, you get brought into a room in small groups and they tell you, this is what you have to, you're expected to raise $300,000 for the Republican Party. So where does that money come from? It comes from your donors. And, um, you know, we got, um, we got um, K Street didn't help us out a lot. That's the lobbying, you know, area up there because we voted against Boehner and then we did some other things. So Boehner told people don't support these people. As and so freedom, freedom caucus he's talking about, right? Which well, this is pre-freedom caucus, but pre it was that group okay. that led to the freedom caucus. And so where's that money come from that we're supposed to pay alms to the Republican party. It's from you, you know, people like you, you know, the, I think the 70, 75% of our money that we brought in came from small donors. And so the steering committee was always something. If you laid the, the offerings at the foot of the, of the speaker, he looked favorably upon you and you were a team player and they put you on these committees. Wow. Um, we're at a time now where we need to challenge that system. And the Freedom Caucus is one that's doing that. And um, you're contrasting them with the squad. It's an easy contrast because the Freedom Caucus are fighting for the core values, the, the, the founding principles of this country and our constitution. The squad is fighting against all that. <laughs> you know, they want socialism. And yeah. so they could not garner those vote, uh, votes. And, uh, you know, thank God that the Freedom Caucus is up there. Yeah, it may be dysfunctional at time, but I would rather have somebody driving my ship down through the ocean waters, knowing where they're going and staying on course instead of just letting somebody else take it off course. Um, the motion to vacate, um, to be able to bring up single item bills. Can you imagine that? So you look at the omnibus bill where they threw in the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act. 
that's usually a standalone bill that gets passed. And I think we always passed it in Congress. I did not always vote for it because of the pork they put in there and the garbage. But now they put it in the omnibus bill. And so single item bills um, would be the NDA comes up by itself. The farm bill will be coming up this year. It'll be voted on it by itself. And so by doing that, it goes back to purity of purpose of what that bill was intended to do. And I think that cleans up that mess and it gets, uh, it brings transparency to the legislative process instead of putting all this garbage in a bill that has, you know, you know, your social programs, you know, um, foreign policy programs and all this in, in a big bill, you're looking at them more individually. And I hope they can hold their feet to the fire because that way you really do get that transparency and that leads to accountability. Um, and anything else you want to talk about what they fought for, uh, I'll be no, happy hey, to let me, let me Let me let me jump in here on this because <clears> I've <throat> got a question about this. How, see if I can phrase this properly, much, uh, how effective will the ability to hold the feet to the fire be? In other words, if McCarthy were to give him the international fighter pilot salute, would he get away with it? Would he say, oh, well, I just made that deal to get in. Now I'm in, you know. Uh, you know, you guys go pound sand, okay? What happens then? Is can that happen? Historically, my experience with Kevin is that's what's going to happen, and I hope it doesn't. You know, um, Kevin, I like as a person, um, but I didn't have a lot of dealings with him. You know, it was a nice guy to say hi to, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, that's where the trickery comes. And uh, you know, I can't tell you. I mean, Steve King is a perfect example. Steve had the, the heartbeat bill which would end abortions at, at the existence of a heartbeat, which is about 18 days. And he said, if you get 145 members to sign on to that, I'll bring it up. Well, Steve got, I think he got over 200 members to sign up to it. Kevin would never bring that up. And I know those things have happened in the past. And the, the interesting thing with the people in the Freedom Caucus now, they're not going to back down. I mean, you saw them back down on this, but it was also a point where, can you do any more um, to get the to get McCarthy um, to play by the rules? And I think with Scott Perry as the chairman, I know Scott. He came in with me. He is a fighter, uh, very articulate, very smart, and he'll call him out if the members of the Freedom Caucus will call Kevin out, and you'll hear about it in the media if he is not doing what he had promised. And that's going to be an interesting Congress, especially on the steering committee, because I didn't get back to that. The steering committee, uh, the speaker has, I forget how many votes, he's got the majority of the votes or more votes than any member. And so if you've got somebody that wants to get on a committee, the steering committee has to vote. And if they vote in favor of that person, they get on that committee. And they never had Freedom Caucus people on there. And because we were always kind of anti-establishment and um, to allow them to come onto the freedom or onto the steering committee, this is a good thing for members because they're not doing it. If you pay your dues or not, they're not doing it. If you buck leadership, they're going after the person that is best qualified to put on that committee. And it's merit based, not donation based. Fascinating. Very good analysis. Um, in case you remember, as I say, you'll get a chance to pick it up again on many of the platforms that we post the show on. I also spread this link around, so share it among your friends, because the analysis you're getting right here, you're not going to get anywhere. I listen 
Ted, I listened to uh, Fox and these guys talk uh, during this whole turmoil. It wasn't very much in depth, believe it or not. I mean, uh, the reporters were not able to... It's headlines. Respond. It's headlines. It's headlines. headlines. Sensationalism and uh, all the countdown of the count and never any in-depth analysis of what's behind it, which is what I hope to provide on this show. And certainly you're helping with that every bit, every Wednesday you're on. So, um, it, it, you know, it's tough to maintain this, as you know, uh, because they, as tech censors are out there kind of, uh, you know, making, trying to make us play by the rules and not bring up uh, other points of view other than the, what is acceptable narrative. But I applaud the length of which uh, this took. Now, McCarthy claims he's going to be stronger for this. <laughs> and this brought out the real strengths of uh, the Republican Party. I'm sure him having been there for 16 years, he's very good at political spins. Um, so he's good I, at it. Yeah, I don't imagine the trust factor has changed much at all. That's what I'm hearing. He's still this, a leopard that changed its spots. <laughs> so, but does he respond to uh, pressure that would uh, affect him and his ambitions? That seems to be the linchpin here. Yeah, for the moment he does. I got a case in point. You know, he was all about Trump until, uh, uh, well, no, he was against Trump back in 2016. He and Paul Ryan, they were actively not, they kind of like, well, he's our candidate, but we're not excited. Trump gets elected. He, Paul Ryan, the establishment go to work for him. They misled him on the repeal of Obamacare. They misled him on some other things. Trump backs away from him. And then as we get further into Trump's presidency, and they saw the influence Trump had on members and getting members unelected if he didn't endorse them, if he endorsed uh, uh, um, somebody running against somebody else, and that person won, they saw the power of Trump. So he embraces Trump. Then January 6th happened. You know, the Liz Cheney thing, he's fighting for Liz Cheney's seat and protecting Liz Cheney. And then Liz Cheney's going after incumbent Republicans. And so Kevin kind of watches the win, sees she's unpopular. He backs away. He's still with Trump. Then look at what happened with the election, the, the November election. They didn't get the supermajority they thought they were going to get. You know, Kevin raised all this money. They didn't get a supermajority. And what's he do? Well, it was the Trump factor. Um, he endorsed bad candidates. We had bad candidates, so he ran away from Trump. And now Trump endorsed him for being speaker. Now he's back, you know, singing Trump's praises. It's very duplicitous. And that's, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people in Washington. And, you know, they're politicians versus statesmen. Statesmen. Politicians worry about their next election. They want to keep their position in power. Statesmen worry about their next generations. And it's going to be funny to see how he kind of pivots and he'll do it subtly and you may not see it, but I'll guarantee you he's going to do it. Well, we couldn't bring that bill up because of this. And if he follows suit with John Boehner and Paul Ryan, they will be getting bills to pass with Democratic support. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it depends on the bill. And um, my my bet is. <clears throat> they're going to bring up all these messaging bills like defund the IRS, knowing good and well that those bills are not going anywhere with a democratically controlled Senate. And so they're going to make good noise and sound bites. Oh, we defunded the IRS. No, you didn't. 
you passed the bill that went dead in the Senate. And so we're going to unfortunately see a lot of that. When Kevin tried to get me to vote for him for speaker when I was in there, he told me that he goes, well, Ted, he goes, um, we brought it, we passed 700 bills in the house. And I'm like, yeah, but how many of those are going to become law? And American people don't need 700 bills, Kevin. And it's just interesting. And you brought up something about um, um, not trustworthy. I, I think after I talked to you last Wednesday, I had a rank and file member call me and he wanted to help. He wanted me to help change uh, Representative Luna's uh, support uh, against McCarthy and get him get her to support. And he goes, but before I ask you that, I need to ask you where you stand with McCarthy. <laughs> I, I said, if I were there. I would not vote for him for these reasons. And one of them was you can't trust him. And so I listed all these things and this rank and file member says, Ted, he goes, I hear you. And I agree a hundred percent with you. Everything you said is true. And I feel the same way, but he was going to support McCarthy. And um, they're worried about their position. They think if they play nice, things will go well, but how well have things gone for our nation in the last 16 years? And that's why we need to have strong people like the Freedom Caucus there. Play nice. You know, that's something I don't think is in my genes. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not about being liked. It's about getting things done. I've always thought that anyway and being respected. Uh, but, you know, that's just yours truly here. Um, you yeah. said something that was interesting. Please explain for the uh, uninitiated what rank and file means. You don't have to name the man but or woman, but what does rank and file mean? It's just somebody, rank and file is a member that they pay their dues. Uh, the leadership tells them to vote this way and they vote this way. And um, they just, they're part of the school of fish swimming upstream. That may be the wrong stream or the lemmings jumping off the cliff. They're just going to follow suit, you know, instead of challenging that leadership right. to the point where, you know, what you're doing makes absolutely no sense and is detrimental to my country. And that's, you know, I, I was pretty vocal about that. And the leadership knew that. But if you do it in the right way, it doesn't affect you. And, you know, I can attest to that. I didn't pay my dues. I mean, we voted against um, Boehner, uh, ran against Boehner. And there were other things we did that were anti-establishment. But yet I became a committee chairmanship, uh, got significant legislation passed. And if people would do that, respectfully, like you said, and respect is not something you, you ask for. Respect is something you earn by your actions. And I think, you know, people knew where I stood. And if more members would do that, I think that the, the whole workings of Congress would change. For well, we, have a, we have an interesting subject. I'm going to have to bring it up. Um, your replacement supported McCarthy. She sure did. Yeah. How do you have a reaction to that? Uh, I was disappointed in that. Um, you know, I've been out of there for two years and, you know, I don't know what the dynamics are up there other than I know things don't change that drastically. And uh, the proof will be in the in the next two years on how Congress functions. Um, uh, I know Representative Kamek, her role was to move into leadership because she felt like she could invoke changes from the inside and have influence on leadership. And if that's her goal and that's her intent, I wish her the best of luck. But being up in that game, um, that's not my personality, you know, because I am who I am. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend to do these things. 
I wanted to invoke change by going head at it, head on to it. And, um, you know, um, I was disappointed to see that she was going to be a member of the Freedom Caucus, but she ran away from that as soon as she uh, got elected. Um, and again, I hope what she's doing can serve our district and our nation the way it's supposed to. And if not, that person needs to be removed, as that's true with any representative. Um, so we'll, we'll see. You know, they're talking about having hearings at the border on immigration. And I think you and I have talked about this. I don't need them to do a hearing at the yeah. border. No, the problem, we need to do what we can to get Democrats. And there are Democrats that want to solve the unchecked migration into our country. And that's what they need to focus on. Talk with Ted Yolo here. We're coming up on a break in a couple of minutes. If you have any questions you want to pass along that uh, haven't been passed along to me already before the show started, I'm looking at the chat line constantly. Just put it up there. Uh, and uh, we're interested basically in any questions you would like us to explore an answer to. Um, just before we take a break, we've got about two or three more minutes. Let's go back and define uh, who are the members of the Freedom Caucus. Of course, I met Mark Meadows through you. I thought Mark Meadows was just my down-home neighbor type guy. I instantly, yeah, yeah. I instantly trusted him. Um, he was just one of us. That's my instinctive. I'm pretty good at reading people, and I read him right away as a, as a good guy. Um, Mark I'm is assuming, a very – go ahead. Well, he go came ahead. from Western Carolina, kind of a rural kind of uh, area where surely for the, him to be uh, voted on, people knew him and – and trusted him, I would assume, as the way he came. You come from that area of North Carolina. So uh, I'm assuming that the other people in that are similar to him. Let's take a break and expand on that when we get back. Sure. Let's give you time to think about that. Um, we're talking with um, U.S. House of Representatives for eight years, Ted Yo, who, unfortunately, from my point of view, term limited himself and is trying to live the life of Riley now on the River in Palaka. I am. Yeah, so- we are doing. <laughs> in fact, he was so caught up with his uh, his future that he almost forgot me today. Boy, that would have hurt. <laughs> that would have hurt. <laughs> so we're going to take a break right now. Production. We'll be right back in a moment on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 
1-800-227-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, I've got Ward's weather report here brought by Lewis Oil. Good friend Wendell Lewis, who swears she's going to remain 29 years old all her life. I hope I don't squeal on her for that. And I'm all for it. <laughs> really? But uh, the weather today is pretty uh, mild here. We have a low temperature. It went down to 39 at night here. Uh, it's up in the 40s now. and It'll climb up probably to the 70s. But the big story in the weather right now are the millions of storm-weary people across California. And they are really facing, I was trying to think what that would be like here in Florida, an endless series of cyclones, which is basically a hurricane over on the western side of the nation. What would it be like if we had an endless series of hurricanes crashing one after another into the shores of Florida? You can imagine what kind of havoc that would cost. And then, of course, complicated in California, where there's been a lot of, ironically, uh, environmental concern, but deforestation. And you have mudslides and water runoff because they're not used to getting this kind of inundation. So now we have a round of life-threatening, literally life-threatening weather. And they're beginning to call this an atmospheric river an atmospheric river, and it's unloaded more than a month's worth of rain in one day in California. Now, this is called splash floods, rock size, as I said, and avalanches. And this is a line of storms uh, that is pummeling California and has been doing so since New Year's Eve. There have been more than a dozen related storm fatalities, uh, and it's just uh, higher from the death toll from wildfires in California, which is significantly uh, 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 noticeable in California, the wildfires. And the wildfires play into, as I say, the loss of timber to protect against the erosion. So this latest system is uh, coming now. There was a woman killed in Avila Beach, uh, about 150 miles northwest of Los Angeles. A five-year-old boy went missing when he was swept away by floodwaters mm-hmm. near San Miguel, about 130 miles southeast of San Jose. So we have got a hypervigilant condition right now in California that is uh, uh, really kind of imagine, uh, unimaginable if we try to transpose that to what we like here in the state of Florida. I, I just, uh, I don't know if we would, economically, it would really impact us, as you can imagine. So there's been an emergency declaration for California. Um, Santa Cruz is a coastal city, as you know, about 60 miles south of San Francisco. Uh, it's experienced some of the worst flooding uh, it's experienced in uh, in its existence there on the coast. So, and if you've ever been out to the West Coast, one of the things that strikes me anyway right away is that's a vast, vast ocean uh, that is un nothing between it and the land before it gets to the land. 
Uh, in fact, my theory is that's how the redwoods got to be the redwoods then from years and eons of resisting the wind off the North Pacific made these trees grow enormously sturdy and tall to, to, to fend off the, the, the weather from, come from the Pacific. So that's just my private little theory. Maybe it actually has some scientific support. So uh, that's my, uh, that's my opinion by golly. And since it is, <laughs> it's, darn probably sure right. it's a survival of the fittest. And those yeah. are some uh, just majestic trees. You go out there through the Redwood Forest or uh, Sequoia National Forest. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, you become a product of your environment. So I think you're right. Well, it certainly impressed me that way because that's some, that's some uh, pretty, uh, uh, you know, tough land up there. Beautiful. Yeah. No, but, uh, beautiful. Those trees reminded me of that. They must have been fighting off uh, the wind all those, all those eons. Well, we're talking with Ted Yoho, and we're talking now, we're going to get into a discussion about the composition definition of uh, members of uh, the Freedom Caucus, a term you've been hearing us use. Uh, we probably ought to take a little time and, and make it a little more personal so that you know who these people are and uh, what kind of folks they are. And you're going to have to do that, Ted, because I don't know anything about it other than I know you and Mark Meadows. Yeah, and like you said, Mark and I came in together, Scott and Scott Perry, and they're salt-of-the-earth people. I mean, Scott's very, uh, uh, he's Brigadier General, uh, served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, just a matter-of-fact person. Uh, it's interesting because on one of the committees, the chairman, uh, he and I still, still speak to chairman, and he complains about him because he's such a hardhead. But what he's trying to do is curb our spending in foreign assistance. And, um, you know, um, you know, he's he, he could work a little bit nicer in it and probably accomplish more. <laughs> people on the Freedom Caucus, it's people that believe in God, country, family. They believe in the Constitution. They believe in the founding principles and our core values as a nation. And they see that changing. Uh, and like I said, you know, you have the Obamanization of our country that's happened since Obama came on on the on the stage. And Obama, uh, Ob President Biden, I I keep slipping and calling him O'Biden. Um, he's carrying that on, uh, that that agenda of fundamentally transforming America. And you're seeing it. We talk about that. But, uh, you know, there's people on there like Mary Miller, who is a farmer out of Indiana. Super, super, uh, just a very nice person, very smart. In fact, she displaced one of the rank and file um, uh, rhinos. And he was a friend of mine, Rodney Davis. And uh, she beat him uh, due to uh, redistricting. Paul Gosar out of Arizona. He's a dentist. And, uh, you know, you've got people, Ralph Norman out of the Carolinas. These are people, Ralph Norman's a contractor. You've got lawyers in there. You've got doctors. You've got a cross, just a cross section of America. But their values are what people like me and the people that allowed me to be elected they're up there representing their constituents. And, um, you know, so I think it's a good check on the establishment up there. You know, you hear about the rhinos or the elites up there, or, you know, the rank and file as you brought up. And those people have to be challenged because if you think about it, the people that have been there for a long time, they've either led this country where, to where we are at or they failed to prevent it. And if you don't have people that are going to challenge that slide into socialism and bring it back, this country's over. And so I am, I'm proud of those people being up there. And it's not popular to be up there 
and and be in that because you've got the rank and file people they don't like you and i had to experience that and uh you know but it's it's doing what's right and and again going back to the to the speaker's race the media is attacking these people and i was there we were not supporting Boehner, and they're attacking us as being obstructionists but yet the calls we got from our district says, I don't want him to be the speaker. You need to vote against them. We're counting on you to vote against them. So most of those, and I would venture to say all the people in the Freedom Caucus who are being accused of doing it for grandstanding, for donations, for all this other stuff, they're doing it because their district sent them up there to do this. And so if you're doing what your constituents want, should you be faulted because the media doesn't like you? And uh, I'm proud of those guys for doing that. And I wish we had more people doing that because I think this country would be better off. How many people in the Freedom Caucus? You know, I, like I said, I haven't been there for two years. I know their numbers were up 40 to 50 at one point. Then they went down and now they're they're back up. Uh, they're a very strong caucus. But it, unlike Pelosi with her heavy hand on the way she ruled or some of the other speakers, the Freedom Caucus says this is where we stand on this issue. And you don't have to be with us 100% of the time, but I think uh, we had a, a percentage, like maybe 80%, be with us 80% of the time. And, you know, they were okay with that, you know. Um, and I experienced that on both sides of that. And so, you know, they give you the flexibility and some autonomy. So you're just not rubber stamping what they say. And in the, the meetings we had, we would meet once a week, we would hash things out, and they were probably the most in-depth debates we had on issues uh, when a bill would come up, because we talked about bills coming up. Then we would have debates within the Freedom Caucus, and there would be people wanting to support a bill and people not supporting it, and then we would come out with a consensus on that. Well, you know, we got a lot of questions and reaction to this now, the Freedom Caucus. So. The press, and I watch Fox, I don't watch TV much, but I did watch it during this uh, attempt to get a speaker. They kept slamming the Freedom Caucus as a sure bunch did. of occult radicals who were, who were goofballs off the, um, the main road and all this kind of, you know, you know, here's the deal about the way I read that. Um, how shall I say it? It is an extension of everything that has happened to the people who have questioned the deep state since Trump came down the escalator. Yeah. I mean, it really is, Ted. I mean, you see, we have, from the point of view of the people who oppose the popular voice, so let's call it that. Let's call the Freedom Caucus the popular voice, Chris, for my discussion point here. The people who oppose the popular voice are threatened by even the smallest presence of it. I'm not, I'm, I don't mean to be vain about this, but here's the Wards Got Files. We're not the most widely listened to, of course, <laughs> voice sure. in the whole country, but evidently we're widely listened to enough to be perceived as a threat. Okay. Yeah, to be censored. To, yeah, to be censored because we question the conventional narrative. Right. Just question the conventional narrative. And we haven't done much more than that. And let people share the platform with me who have also questioned it from their vantage point, some of which is very, very close to the heartbeat of the whole country. So it's, it, I believe there is 
an attempt, and this is what concerns us about McCarthy, he can be censored by his sellout to the deep state. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see how this plays out. And I hope Kevin is held accountable and does what's right for the country and not what's right for his advancement or for, the, you know, for the for the deep state or the, you know, there's the party of big government. And that's Republicans and Democrats and leadership that want to protect the status quo. And it's controlled by big businesses because they don't want to rock the boat. They want everything favorable for them. And, um, you know, I try to get on Hannity, try to get on um, uh, Brian Kilmeade and uh, Mark Levin because they're all yelling at the Freedom Caucus as obstructionists and they're, yeah. they're ruining the chances of the Republican Party to show consensus and that they can lead. It was a moment in time to get it right. And um, then I, I think it was yesterday. I, I don't listen to the news much. I read um, the news and the things I want to read. And then I'll go and do my research. But yesterday, I had the news on for a short period of time, and they were talking about how good it was for the Freedom Caucus for some other things, and they're they're edifying them. But three days ago, they're a bunch of jerks, and they should be thrown out, and they're obstructionists, and and the duplicity of the media is terrible. And uh, you know uh, that's why I think a lot of people have tuned out of mainstream uh, um, um, news and things like that. I know I have, and most of the people I talk to have, and they do their own research. Well, the point you're bringing up, I think, is uh, interesting from my point of view, too. I'm a, I, I, I feel that those big news outlets are motivated, first of all, by ratings. Oh, yeah. And by money. Absolutely. And uh, I can't be corrupted by that because I don't have ratings and I don't have money. So. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be. I mean, if you, if you do things for period of purpose, like we talked about in some of the legislation, if you're doing it for the right reason, you'll gather and gain the audience. You know, and the monies, the, 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 the rewards of that will come. But if you go out there to do that for the rewards immediately, you should succeed. But unfortunately, in today's society, with media, uh, with Hollywood, everything's about the ratings. And if you get the ratings, you get to sell more commercial. And I was showing my wife, when, when one of the news stations comes on, you get maybe five minutes of their talking. Yeah. yeah you yeah. get six or seven minutes of commercials. And, you know, to bring somebody on for a soundbite, like when we would do uh, interviews, uh, most of them were five minutes. So in that five minutes of time, you, you've got a minute and a half of the guy speaking to you, or the interviewer, and then you've got maybe two and a half minutes of getting your point out there. And you can't have a rational discussion in a five-minute section. And I think when they get into more lengthy discussions with people, like on the Sunday shows, it's more meaningful and you can really get into the depth of things well we certainly make that possible here on the Ward scott files because i appreciate it i don't know of any place where we can call uh, you know basically uninterrupted except you know share comments from our listeners and viewers uh in a pure unfiltered way uh with the listeners and viewers having the last word as to what they want to do with what we talk about. And sure. uh, it's not corrupted by, uh, I'm not, I'm, you know, to a fault, I'm not somebody who really is looking to be liked. Uh, I want to be honest and truthful and reliable. And if I'm liked, fine. If I'm not, fine. It's not about me. But really, it's not about me. It's about the subjects that we discuss, you know. And uh, 
I'm long past winning popularity contest, Ted. <laughs> you know, that's funny. I got, I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to try to keep it clean. You're trying – you, what you said reminded me of you may not like what I'm saying. I may not be politically correct. And I had this good friend of mine that had a, a beef with this lady, and um, he finally said, what's your problem with me? <laughs> he goes, you're an a-hole. <laughs> and he got offended. And he stormed out of the place and he, he comes to me and he starts complaining. And I'm just listening to him. I says, well, I guess what I've learned is don't ask a question you don't want an answer to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, if you want somebody to play nice with you and tell you what you want to hear, you know, you and I are probably not the people to ask. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> somebody just posted, I've always got the cows I can go out and talk to, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh my golly. <laughs> I hope that doesn't uh, get you censored. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking with Ted Yoho here and having a great conversation and and uh he's got a lot of other things on his mind because he's uh, getting ready to build a house. What you doing with yourself there, Ted? Yeah, we're getting ready to build a house over here in Wheelack of the town of six hundred, seven hundred people with one traffic yeah. light. Sometimes that's too many. And we're right on the St. John's River. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the border for a minute because we got a couple of conversations come in about it. I think it was all window dressing and a lot of show, but no go when uh, Biden made his dramatic appearance and he was doing it. I hate to be cynical, but polit- politics will make make you that way. <laughs> um, I, th- I think. I uh, no, I would agree with you. I mean. <laughs> I'm glad he went down there, but it was there was no intent to do anything different. Um, I mean, they're saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do this differently. It's like my orcas was saying that, oh, yeah, we're going to do this differently. And you're not going to let these people happen yet. We've had an unprecedented amount of people that have come in in the Biden administration. I think just last year alone, there was over two million people in the four year, two years he's been in office. It's I think it's pushing four million people. And uh you know, to go down there the first time in two years and say, oh, yeah, we, we're going to do things different. Uh, you know, we'll see six months from now. Is it going to change? You know, and we're, we're focused on the southwest border. All of our borders are just as porous. If you look at what's going on in Florida, um, down in the Keys, um, in our coastal areas there, uh, last a month and a half ago, there was over 3,000 immigrants that have came in illegally. And they get processed. And um, this is not just the southwest border. It's it's all of our borders. The Canadian border is just as porous as they are here, but we don't hear about that. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting because they're going to make, they, the Republicans, are going to make a lot of fanfare. We're fighting for getting immigration under control. Keep in mind, they have a slight majority in the House, and they have, um, um, they're, they're in the minority in the Senate. So anything they pass in the House is not going to go anywhere. Um, and Kevin McCarthy will say, well, we're using these to show the American people what we will do when we get when we get this, the majority again. I'll guarantee you he'll say that. And one of his famous lines we'd hear in conferences, we got to stick together because we're stronger together than we are divided. I mean, I heard that story. So, I mean, it just, you know, it was just every week in conference. And it's a true statement but it comes from leadership and that's what was lacking. And, um, you know, we do have so many things that we need to worry about. 
One of the things I'd really love to see them do, which I think is probably one of the most important things, is to roll back the election law changes that Nancy Pelosi and the democratically controlled House, Senate, and White House have changed that have changed the election landscape in this country forevermore unless the Republicans can start unwinding some of that. You want to elaborate on that? Because that's really a lightning rod statement. And I think it's uh, something we ought to go into a little more depth on. Let's talk about the My last Congress up there, Nancy Pelosi put in H.R. 1, which was the People's Choice Act. And uh, it passed the House. Mitch McConnell blocked it in the Senate. And what that bill did was allow people to same day register to vote. No proof of residency. No signature verification. It increased the mail-in ballots and the time period of mail-in uh, mail-in ballots, and it expanded the drop box and put all that stuff in play. And it's not the role of the federal government to do that. That's up to your state legislatures. But that bill was passed in the House, and like I said, it didn't go anywhere. But it didn't matter because it got act- enacted in Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Arizona. And those were the swing states that really changed the outcome of this. The next Congress, the one, um, uh, the 2117th Congress, which was the first year uh, 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 Congresswoman Kamek was up there, they passed it again, but they changed the name because they changed it to John Lewis because he had passed away. And they called it the John Lewis Civil Rights Voting Act. And, you know, so now they put a, a nice name on there. So if you vote against it automatically, you're against civil rights and you're racist. And um, it did the same thing, but it expanded it more as far as the, the amount of time for mail-in ballots and drop boxes. And um, again, it got enacted. And I went on one of the radio shows and I said, this was back with Pelosi's bill, H.R. 1. If this bill gets passed through, Republicans won't win elections again. And that really played into this last set of elections. It wasn't the poor candidates. We've always had poor candidates. Look at the one up in New York, Santos. I mean, you can't find a worse candidate as far as ethics and integrity, yet he got elected. But if we, if the Democrats keep going down this, we're not going to win those elections anymore, you know, because they have changed the rules of the game and they're controlling the game. And it's like Stalin said, I think it was Stalin said, I don't care who votes, who controls the voting. I can I care who controls the county, <laughs> and that's kind of what they've you done. Care who it's controls the county. Now I'm laughing about it, but it's really sad. And you know we've got to get back to the basic election integrity. Of course, if you're a conservative and you say, "Well, we got to have signature verification," oh, you're suppressing the votes, you're suppressing the minority. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has with election integrity. And I think our integrity of our elections is an all-time low in our country's history. Well, we've certainly documented that. We, we, sure. We've been chipping away at on the Ward Scott files, and, and um, we run into indifference and bureaucratic indifference. People sure. really don't want to know, and they want to believe that statistically it makes no difference. Uh, according to our analysis, that vote that took place between Gillum and DeSantis came down to eight votes per county difference, okay? Yeah. That's, I, now think about that. You divide it up among 67 counties and it comes down to eight votes per county difference. We can easily find eight fraud, beep votes per county. <laughs> without, really, Ted, without even trying, we found them. 
And yeah. yet the supervisor can't find them. And yet the state attorneys don't want to care do, doing about it. Uh, we've had a real issue, and I think you probably know about this, uh, pushing this issue out and making it come to uh, the actual courts. Uh, we're going to have one here locally in March. We're going to have jury selection on a guy who, um, you know, was signed up by the illegally by the supervisor elections to vote. And he's challenging yeah. saying, well, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. They told me I could, you know. So we'll see. Right. That's going to be interesting. It's going to be a jury trial here in Gainesville. Well, and that's where the accountability really needs to happen. And we need to do it on those things that are going to significantly change the direction of this country. And and I think that's one of the biggest things by bringing election laws back to the states and get rid of this stuff that they've done that has really tilted the scales to the Democratic Party. Um, and they need to focus on they Congress, the Republicans, our border, our supply chains. Um, you know, these things that are really going in our debt is things that they really need to focus on. And they need to focus on China. China is a is our biggest growing threat to national security besides our debt. One last question before we have to leave. Is there anything the House can do on its own that will without having to go get approval from the Senate, go get approval from the Oval Office? Anything that the House can do at sticks? Yeah, I think if they stick together and they come out with strong bills that bring out the border, fund the border, you know, do those things. And if they put the money in for funding the border crisis that we have, whether it's the wall or not, and the Democrats vote it down in the Senate, that is going to be a messaging bill. But it's going to put a lot of pressure on the Biden administration because he's going into the next election. And I think the other thing they're going to really focus on are the investigations into, you know, not just Hunter Biden, but the FBI, what they've done, um, you know, um, Biden's um, um, uh, Ukraine. Uh, well, oh, yeah, the, the papers. The, no, the, the paper. I'm going to get around to ask about that. We're going to run out of time. Um, we have some questions come in on what, you know, what's what do we we'll save it for next time. Classification of documents. That's going to yeah, be a good classified documents. I mean, that needs to be looked at. I mean, that's as serious a threat. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made it that way. And so. Yeah, next time we'll do that. Bring that up. I'll make a note right here. <laughs> Tie a string around your finger. Remember Wednesday, okay? <laughs> uh, fall off by then. All right, uh, man. We've, been ta- we've been talking with Ted Yoho. It's 958. We're going to uh, wind down here. We appreciate you all sharing this show. I share it quite a bit. I take the link and I put it out to uh, various platforms. Uh, a number of platforms, of course, run at 24-7, 365. And it's forever here in our library. It's never going anywhere. It's always available to be looked at, and I'm pretty proud of that. We have, over the years, built up a real library of, 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 of discussions about have, uh, yeah. our community. So um, that's a well-kept secret anyway. We'll, we'll spread it around to, <laughs> and uh, enjoy always talking with you and uh, honored by your presence. And, um, I appreciate the opportunity. And I love the, the, you know, the sponsors and help them out and also all you people. Uh, you know who you are, who donate to us. Every little bit ha- uh, helps us out. We have production costs and things of that nature. Although we're certainly not in this uh, to be corrupted by money, if we put it that way. But on the other hand, we, we do enjoy a, a little bit of uh, reward now and then. For what yeah, we, we'll take as in. much as you, you'll take as much as I'll send in, right? That's right. That's right. So I uh, hope you have a great day here on uh, the rest of your, wherever you might be listening to us and whenever you might be listening to us. And Ted, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, I wish everybody a, a great day. Warthog Command Center out.